0: You're listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 63.
1: I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush.
0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the ninth Doctor story, Boomtown, the ninth Doctor being Christopher Eccleston, for those who have trouble remembering the numbering like my wife. Uh, Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Great. So uh, I'd I'd make that reference because my wife uh, got mad at me the other day because I was referring to like, so then the fourth doctor and then the eighth doctor and then the third doctor. And she's (laughs) like, who are these people? (laughs) Because she can never keep track of who the different doctors are. She wants the actors names. So I give her the actors names because apparently that is more uh, easier for her to remember. I guess some of us are number people. Some of us are name people.
2: Yeah, well, and some people are just uh, okay, it's the one with the celery in the cricket costume or the one with the yep. Technicolor vomit
0: coat. or, you know, <laughs> s- yep, exactly. The leather jacket guy. Today is the leather jacket the, guy.
2: No, the no, U-boat yeah. Captain.
0: <laughs> yes, the boat yeah. captain. All right. Um so, uh we're talking today about Boomtown, which was the 11th episode of that first season of the re- re- reboot of Doctor Who, the 2005 reboot. Sometimes called the BBC Wales Doctor Who, uh, which is an interesting way of looking at it and relevant to, d- to today's episode. Um and well we'll get into let's get into the the synopsis of the episode uh, after we listen to the uh, sound of the trailer
2: having such a nice day according to intelligence the target is the last surviving member of the slovene family a criminal psych from the planet rexicorical falpatorius masquerading as a human <laughs> being zipped inside a skin suit this nuclear power station right in the heart of Cardiff
0: city will bring jobs for all and it just so happens to be right on top of the rift from what i've seen your funny little happy-go-lucky life leaves devastation in its wake is moving on because you dare not come back.
2: If this power station went into meltdown, the entire planet would go... You left me! The rift's open. The whole city's gonna disappear. Time and space are ripping apart.
0: If it's gonna convulse, you'll destroy the whole planet.
2: And you with it.
0: Okay. So as we can tell, the companions in this one are gonna be Jack and Rose with uh, Mickey showing up. Um, and the, uh, the enemy here is... Um, Mayor, uh, lo- the Lord Mayor of Cardiff, Margaret Blaine, also known as Blonde Fell Foch Pasimir de Slathine. Uh, that's right, the Slatine are back. In fact, my first note, yeah. my first note, uh, here as I was watching it was, Oh joy, the Slatine!
2: <laughs> yeah, so the Slatine are no good as monsters. I mean, giant farty babies is just not, you know, really and, and a right. good I think monster. There's a reason why they got it, they got two episodes, and that was it. Right. Yeah. But I do have to say I like and this is something Russell G. Davies continues. I like the polysyllabic names uh, because even here on Earth, there are languages that um, are agglutinative and you you make words by sticking together lots of syllables. Uh, Swahili is an example of that. And even in German, the nouns get really long. Well, it's, and it's,
1: it's rather and, fitting you know, that this is filmed by BBC Wales because Welsh isn't exactly an easy to pronounce language to begin with.
2: Well, yeah, and they have some really long words too. So I, I like that. It's kind of a sci-fi trope. You see it in other sci-fi too, like in um, Larry Niven's Ringworld, where you have characters mm-hmm. with names like Harloprillalar and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I, I like that. It's it, it's much better. I mean. It's nice to have that as a balance to the monosyllabic <laughs> alien names like Spock and stuff like
0: that. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wish they had outtakes for this uh, every time they tried to had to say Rex Kofalipatorus and uh, and the Torius. Torius, t- right? Well, that's exactly. It. They yeah. probably had to redo t- like takes over and over again because but, they got it just a little wrong. where Blondel Foch yeah. Pasamir de Slovene. Um, yeah, <laughs> I practiced that. How long did it take you to practice that? <laughs> I did yeah. that over and over. Uh, so, um, so the basic plot is the TARDIS lands in Wales, uh, Cardiff, the city of Cardiff, um, and in modern day in, in today, and that's refueling from this, uh, space time rift that goes to the middle of the city and, um. No. Yeah,
2: now so this is this is something that is kind of a trope on Doctor Who of the TARDIS losing power and needing to refuel and it's totally contradicted by other episodes where you have a black hole powering the TARDIS. Yes. And it's like how do you run out of energy? This makes no sense. If you if you if you drained the black hole so it evaporated, then you'd have to get a new black hole at the end of it. And so <laughs> So the, it seems like the, the only headcanon I can come up with to, to reconcile these episodes is you have, the, you have the Eye of Harmony black hole as the main power source from the TARDIS, but then there's some other power source or power sources that need to be used to run critical systems. And those are independent of the black hole. For some reason, you can't use the black hole energy for that. And so it's this auxiliary system power you're having to recharge periodically.
0: It's kind of like in Star Trek where you have warp engines and impulse engines or even in today in in modern naval warships, you'll have like a nuclear reactor, but you'll also have secondary systems that run off of... uh, um, like a diesel generator or something. Exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. So they're re- they're refueling the the TARDIS equivalent of the diesel generators. We'll, we'll go with that. Let's 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 yeah. call that headcanon. And, <laughs> and we'll <laughs> instead of calling the Eye of Harmony a
1: giant lithium ion battery. <laughs>
2: yeah. <Right. laughs> so, it eats lithium ions for breakfast. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, and so so how you get power out of a black hole is kind of you know iffy anyway I guess Hawking radiation maybe
0: that's the I was thinking was gonna say the the radiation that that comes off I guess is the only thing you could do um and then we have this rift which uh, they explain is uh a result of the events in the second episode of the season the unquiet dead when the uh the you had the the rift forming uh, that had been raising that had been creating zombies basically when the uh, aliens were there, mm-hmm. uh, so the, you get this connection between them. Um, I'm guessing that this episode was a was a let's let's save some budget episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As I said, it's it's you know, the you know, it, the doctor who was filmed at BBC Wales, stick the TARDIS in the square in the middle of the city and run around that area you save a big you're saving a lot of your budget for for yeah, other also episodes also no
2: new, no new monster costume and this time we only have one cgi monster instead of a family of them
0: exactly mm-hmm. and the rest of the special effects are pretty you know standard um and we should note that this um this episode boomtown is the last one that we've needed to discuss for this season because after this comes the bad wolf uh, finale and regeneration of the ninth doctor so uh, which we've already done, which we've already discussed. Uh, you can go find that in our archives. And um, so you know they could have been saving up for that, or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of reasons for uh, possible reasons for it. So um, I I want to point out that the lo- the location of the TARDIS here is it's called Roald Dal uh Plas, which Plas must be Welsh for place or square. Pla- plaza maybe. Yeah. And Roald Dahl was uh, author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and a numerous other uh uh children's books Distur- disturbing children's books. <laughs> yeah. Roald Dahl was a was a kind of an odd duck and uh for, especially as someone who wrote children's books <laughs> his other ones were really off the wall uh, compared to uh, Willy Wonka. Hmm. So um they so they explain uh, so we get uh, Mickey shows up. He's coming to see Rose. Uh, I guess she called him to meet her, in, meet her there.
2: Yeah. Bring bringing her passport.
0: <laughs> right. And she
2: actually raises a nice point. You know, the doctor says, what do you need a passport for? And she says, well, suppose we land in Brazil. It could become really important for me. And, you know, you think yeah. about it and it's yeah, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. You know. Um, Although Um she then kind of dismisses that later in the episode I guess thinking of psychic paper or something but yeah. <laughs> the doctor hasn't handed her any psychic paper and said use this as your passport whenever mm-hmm. you need it
0: I know only so the doctor has psychic paper and Jack has psychic paper but uh, the, as far as I know the companions are never given any which it would be that'd be a dangerous tool actually once yeah. once in while they'll use it but they'll get it from the doctor to use it Right. Mm-hmm. right um and then we get this explanation of the TARDIS's appearance and the the, the, ch- the chameleon circuit being broken which is interesting yep. it's coming at this part of the season I guess they've they felt like you know this is one of those aspects of the reboot is we've got a whole new set of fans possibly we need to be explaining things to them um, but they waited yeah. to this point By
2: episode 11 they're gonna wonder
0: right
1: um well that's that's kind of like we we were talking about to cross over to a different podcast episode, but Star Trek discovery where they didn't start immediately throwing all the Star Trek stuff at you right from the beginning. Yeah. And that was, I think that's why new doctor who succeeded as well as it did is they didn't immediately throw the whole backstory of seven regenerations and everything that happened in classic who at you right from the beginning, they gave you just enough to get you into the story and not, then they kind of parceled it out over the first season or two.
2: Right. I also like the explanation that the doctor gives here for why the TARDIS still looks like a police box, because when Jack asks, well, why don't you just fix the chameleon circuit? He says, because I like it this way. And really, that's the only in-universe explanation that makes any sense, because he's, he's been traveling in this thing for hundreds of years now. He knows how it runs now. He's not incompetent with it, like some of the early doctors were. Mm-hmm. He easily could fix it if he wanted. He just doesn't want to.
1: Right. Well, and there was, there was a Colin Bacon at Baker episode, six-doctor episode, where he did try to fix the chameleon circuit, and it turned into, like, a Victorian couch and an organ and... A couple of like grandfather clock or something like that in a junkyard. And then it then finally it was back to the police box and he left it alone.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, especially, you know, the, you get comfortable with it. You like it that way. It's just it sort of becomes your signature. I get that. And yeah, and show branding is important. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I kind of like it this, at this point, part of the, the this beginning part of the episode that after they make that explanation, the doctor kind of says as they, they're about to go off, you know, they're going to leave the TARDIS here while it's refueling. They're going to go see what's going on in the city. And he says at Cardiff in the 21st century, the wind is from the east. It's the safest place in the universe, which, of course, as soon as the doctor says this is the safest place in the universe, you know, <laughs> it, dum, is, dum, dum. it is the least safe place in the universe, which we cut to this little thing, talking about building a nuclear power station in the Heart of Cardiff, which is in itself a ridiculous idea. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) um, Yeah, and the the idea
2: you. The idea you could get even now they're more open to nuclear power in Europe than we are here in America, which frankly, good for the Europeans, right? Exactly. Um, but building a water-cooled, I mean, this is this is if you're if you're using a water-cooled nuclear power plant, it has the potential to melt down. That's what mm. the water is there for <laughs> to stop that. And well, and having a uh, and those are clearly cooling towers on this thing. So to have a water-cooled right. nuclear power plant in the middle of a metropolitan. area area is just crazy.
1: Well, even the most, you know, rape and pillage the environment type uh person would never even think about doing something <laughs> like this.
0: Right. It's just crazy. Well that yeah. and oh, we're gonna tear down Cardiff Castle and build it there. Like <laughs> you, no one's you, yeah. Yeah. gonna let <laughs> you tear down Cardiff Castle to build it. There. I mean
2: so that's <laughs> well and, and Go ahead. And, and this loops into another aspect here that's just dumb, which is the, the new mayor, Margaret Blonde, whatever you want to call her, um, ha- has the clout to get all this done. OK, that's unbelievable enough. But how does a mayor... Who? How does she even? She doesn't want any pictures taken of her. Exactly. How do you become? How do you become a mayor? Much less a mayor with amazing political clout <laughs> with no publicity. That just makes no sense at all. Right. And 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 the only reason that she seems to want no publicity, I mean, I I I, 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 I guess <laughs> in universe it's because people might recognize her from the role she played in in. In the World War Three um, alien invasion storyline, yeah. and, and, and and what a shock! Yeah, but, they do but then, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so fine. In that case, you should have gotten her a new skin suit, so that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. That would be the logical thing. Then you get publicity, become the new mayor, or just get your skin suit from the old mayor and and build up your political cloud and do your nuclear power plant crazy scheme.
0: Yeah, it, it's like the whole premise. Like so, so we we build up this whole premise that's completely implausible. Like more implausible yeah. than 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 your average Doctor Who episode. I mean, some of them are not that bad, <laughs> but this is just piled on, piled on, piled on implausibility. And then we 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 put a pin in it, and we go from there. It's like we sort of Russell D. Davies. He writes this all up, waves his hand at it, says just just go with it, just go with it, and then. Yeah. We go from there. So that's what we're doing. I mean, from this point on, the episode is, frankly, if in in my memory, it's better than it than it, the first time I watched it. Uh, and we mm-hmm. just kind of we kind of go on from this first massive level of implausibility. Um, you know, basically, though, this this
1: opening part is just to set up the argument between Blonde and the doctor. Yes. I mean, that
0: basically is what it comes down to. Yeah. This is a th- this is an episode of, about reflecting on. um our deeds, you know, what about being about good and evil, really about what makes a person good, what makes a person evil. Are people redeemable? I mean, that's really what it's what it comes down to for me is 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 Margaret Blaine slash blonde, Phil Fox, whatever, whatever. Uh, is she redeemable or is she just a monster through and through? And actually, that is an interesting discussion for me.
2: Yeah. And so, uh, since we talked about the ridiculous implausibilities to give them a little bit of credit for what they then do, and this this first one is not much of a credit, but they tone down the farting, yes, which is good. And yes. initially, they explain it as just stomach rumbling, which I thought, oh, if they stick with that, that'll be so much better. If they just retcon this as stomach rumbling, of course they then didn't because we have a scene in a bathroom, right? Um, yep. But they, it's it's way less than it was in the earlier storyline. That's good. But what's really nice is you have some um, you have some nice dialogue. Where like Margaret at one point is is talking to a guy and she says, what are you captain of? The innuendo squad? <laughs> right. And, <laughs> to Jack. And that's nice. <laughs> to Jack. Yeah, exactly. And to Jack. And um, uh, and then you have this – and actually in the bathroom scene, yeah. she's, she's talking to this young woman who's a reporter. Who she's about to and kill. And she discovers – who she's about to kill, and yeah. she's right up to the point of killing her, and then realizes that the reporter is, is with child, and she's, mm-hmm. she says, you're with child. And at that point, the fact that she realizes that there's an unborn baby – that the reporter has uh, is what convinces her not to kill the reporter. Right. And she has mercy on her. And this is a humanizing moment.
0: Yes. Um,
2: exactly. And she's just been mulling over herself, her loss of family, the family's Slitheen. Um, So family is obviously important to her. And when she realizes the reporter is in a family way, she's able to be sympathetic. And so we're starting to build this sympathetic layer mm-hmm. to blonde, and I really like that. That's nice. And that's crucial for what happens later in the episode.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that that, that point in the show that kind of told me this is going to be different from the previous Sladeen episode, uh, l- right. a little less campy and a little more thought, a little more. Um, let's let's think about about things. And and yeah, I, I really that that sentimentality that she shows the and and almost a uh, maternal longing that that was there uh, you know it, it's interesting having you know seeing this as from the perspective of a of a parent when the first time I don't, I don't think i don't think the first time i saw this i uh i was a i was a dad yet and it's just a it it puts it in a different place um and i and i really like that and just that that whole you know the that a baby changes everything in a sense and and, <laughs> and that's 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 true um Now, still, given
2: the nature of Blonde's plan, if the if the reporter stays in Cardiff, she's going to die anyway. But at least she Mm -hmm. has some more life. And the chance, I guess, maybe if the earth isn't totally destroyed, which I think that is the plan. Yeah. Uh, But she so she's going to die anyway. But uh, at least she has some more time. But it's an interesting might get to hold her baby.
0: Well, but it's also an interesting uh, idea, which is when for for someone who's, you know, when you're confronted with the death of a of a single innocent, it, you know, when you're a person who is a violent person, say, it it may be different than when you're confronted with the idea of killing nameless uh, hundreds or thousands, mm-hmm. or in this case, billions. You know that that is, is this. Are you speaking from personal experience here? Or yes. This, well, yes. I, <laughs> okay. I'm revealing at this point that I was the ruler of a uh, of a faraway solar system, uh, and I'm I'm actually an alien. <laughs> I knew it. We figured it out. <laughs> but, but in the, but in the, also, I mean, I've seen people who, you know, it, it, to, to be a little more serious, but people who, when discussing things like uh, nuking the bad guys, let's go nuke those terrorists or nuke that country, you know, turn it into glass, pave it, you know, it, it's just this very bloodthirsty, callous attitude, uh, because it's faceless people from far away; they're not yeah. real. But when you're confronted like with someone.
2: With- Yep. Yeah, it's like interacting with people on the internet versus face to face. People get a lot more polite face to face. Yeah, uh,
0: the yeah the well, other they're... mundane example I always give is when you know you you get when you're driving and you get mad at someone and you you know not me but other people might flip them off or yell nasty things and then because it's just a car with a, a faceless driver and then you pull up next to them and you see it's you know someone you know or <laughs> mm-hmm. you know oh I'm sorry I got mad at you I mean it's different now well, you're a person.
1: Well, it's kind of the principle that it's attributed to Stalin. But, you know, if, if only one man dies of hunger, that's a tragedy. If millions die, that's only statistics.
0: Right. Exactly. That's the it's same that sort mindset. of mindset. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to kind of, uh, you know, pull that out in this episode. I mean, that's an example of how this episode this has these these moral questions that, that get confronted. Um you know, I wanted to mention, actually, one of the other little bits of implausibilities is I noticed that the Lord Mayor's office in Cardiff looks surprisingly like uh, 10 Downing Street. <laughs> uh-huh. did, did you, huh. They use <laughs> the exact <laughs> same sets uh, from that episode, yeah. which is funny. Which probably means that they were filmed at the same exact time. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. In the same right. production block. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, By the way, speaking
2: of the offices, so she has uh, droog written in Welsh in her right? office, and yep. the doctor pieces that together and realizes that bad wolf means something. Just not sure what yet.
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah, they, they they are starting to notice bad wolf.
1: This is, a, I, I believe this is the first time that they absolutely, you know, they, that the doctor emphasizes bad You know, of course, there was all the way back second episode where, you know, she saw Bad Wolf and Rose is like, what? Right. Didn't quite catch it. But this is the first time where they they explicitly say, "Okay, we've been seeing this throughout the season. Something's going on here.
0: Right. In fact, Mm -hmm. in the first episode, uh, they walk by a wall where it's spray painted. They don't it's not commented on. Um, Mm -hmm. The second episode is where it's actually mentioned.
2: And this is something new with Doctor Who that we didn't see in the classic series where you have a season arc that's lightly themed through the episodes of a particular right. season and then builds to the climax. That's something that we didn't have before. We either had no season arc in Classic Who, or if we did, it was very explicit. It was one right yeah, from the like, beginning. Yeah, it was one story. Key to Time, Trial,
1: yeah. the, to time, trial of the Time Lord, things like that, where there were yeah. different serials that built into this whole big story
0: well let's yeah. stop for a second and talk about this this phenomenon in new who which it, now it's just sort of seems uh, you know right up through the the Moffat era to become yeah. de rigueur. this is required this is you know every season has an arc is is this a good thing for doctor who or i mean there have been times when it's been interesting I, there's, there's no there's no denying that but but is this is this something that we should have every season
2: I, I think so. what or I think I actually I would go a little further in doing it. I like serialized fiction. I, mm-hmm. I like big stories. And so episode, purely episodic <coughs> fiction is not my thing, really. And what they're trying to do by including this is to find a balance between episodic and serialized fiction so that if you're a fan of episodic fiction you don't have you can dip in and join the series at any time without being put off by not knowing what's going on but if you like serialized fiction then there is something stringing you along that's eventually going to pay yep. off it's just not in the foreground <laughs> I think they've pushed it a little too far into the background, though, because the the themings in the different seasons of Doctor Who, whether it's Bad Wolf or Cracks in Time or Hybrids, mm-hmm. it's just so far in the background that I don't get a sense of building momentum uh, from it. It's just, okay, there's the obligatory reference to the series arc, and there's no development on it, really. And I wish they, they'd pull it a little further into the foreground. And I'm hoping that the Chris Chibnall era is going to do that because he's known for serialized fiction with, like, broad mm-hmm. church.
1: Well, then, this is, this is obviously a, a wider element with television today. You know, as you know, we think about how many series are there now, were there 13, 15-episode seasons? You mm-hmm. know, and that when, when Doctor Who came out, that was still somewhat rare. When, the, when this season first came out in 2005, I would argue that was still somewhat rare. But now it's very common. There's a lot of a lot of series that are set up just like that. And they are the serialized arcs like Broadchurch and, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica here in the States was probably one of the first in the United States that really embraced that.
2: Well, yeah, and in know. fact, if, yep. if you read the writer's Bible for Battlestar Galactica, the Ron Moore series, he mm-hmm. he's talks in the Bible about how each story needs to work on three levels. We're going to have the stuff that's purely contained in this episode that's meant for, you know, total newbies and stuff. And then you have this kind of the season arc and then you have the overall series arc above that. And there's going to be a little development on each of those in each episode.
0: I would argue that the the modern TV show, serialized TV show or overarching story TV show, uh, the modern version of that begins with Lost in two thousand and four, um, that and it may not mm-hmm. have been the the sole impetus for the, for right. all the ones that followed, but there seemed to be this moment back in two thousand three four where TV producers d- decided we need to be less episodic and more serialized. More, you know, back in the eighties and and into the nineties, <clears throat> we were much more. Uh, episodic I mean you, you occasionally had, you had Serialized stories uh, yeah. Story arcs But You, you know um, Babylon yeah, 5 Being some, one of them But
2: Right And what B5 did Was it mixed Episodes mm-hmm. That were The series arc With One-offs And so it kind of right. Alternated back and forth Between Between the two formats well, and,
1: and I was I was trying to remember When Battlestar Galactica started And it, it was too Late 2004 So it would have been After Lost started. Oh, I had it in 2005,
0: but, but they were in production at the same, around the same time. Battlestar Galactica may not have been influenced by it, but they were, they were, it's a moment when this sort of stuff started happening.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, It's, it's, it it is interesting because you look at, well, you know, the nineties era, early 2000 era Star Treks, and they had elements that kind of went through the seasons, but nowhere near to this, Level, Yeah. They would have like two or three episodes throughout the season that would kind of play off of their central element. Then everything else would be standalone or, you know, two partners,
2: yeah. things like that. Right. Deep Space Nine kind of built into by the end into into yes. serialized storytelling. And now Discovery is just complete uh, serialization. Yeah.
0: And, and in fact, so many shows now are this way. And so it's it's it I I agree. I kinda like the serialized format. Um, although I also like the the sometimes taking a break from the Mm -hmm. from the overarching arc Mm uh you know, with something lighter or something a little different, sort of cleanse the palate a little, especially when it's a longer season. Uh, you know, if it's ten or eleven episodes, you maybe don't need that. But when you get into your twenty Episodes, you yeah. need you need a, a little bit of break. Mm-hmm. So that might also play into it. Is is that idea of we're getting shorter seasons of TV shows, and so right. there's this there's, there's less time for for fluff, I suppose you could call it. Uh, that may not be uh, a fair characterization, but uh, you don't have time yeah. to to go to do other things. Yep. Mm-hmm. So one uh, thing. Yeah.
2: So uh, I was just going to say one thing I like about this episode, Boomtown, is that it uh, it raises and answers some interesting questions. Like uh, immediately after the doctor, you know, we have some nice running around with Blonde trying to escape the doctor with a teleport, and he keeps reversing her teleport so she gets closer <laughs> and, and closer, closer to closer. him. Yeah, and that's neat. Um, but then once he's effectively got her in custody, A big question is because she's going to go home and face the death penalty, and she's already apparently been tried and sentenced in absentia. Um, And so she will die if he takes her home. And an immediate question, given the doctor's apparent opposition to the death penalty, which is certainly expected on the part of the European audience, is why not take her somewhere else? You, you You
0: just said exactly my very next note on this episode. (laughs) <laughs> Cause it's, yeah, because yeah. that was such a glaring yeah. thing,
2: glaring thing. But then they answer it, which is I can't take her somewhere else because she'll just start all this all over again, leading mm-hmm. her criminal life. So um, so it's nice that they ask the question that's on the audience's mind and give us at least a plausible answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, she plays the the, you know, that she's repentant and she's sorry for her sins, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course,
2: keeps undermining it. Yeah. By blowing poison in the doctor's eyes and stuff.
0: That was kind of a that was a good scene. The doctor anticipating every every trick that she offers.
2: (laughs) Uh, Also, one one nice bit of dialogue. At one point, she accuses him of playing God. Or words to that effect. Yep. And he he says something in, re, in reply that uh, f- fans of just Doctor Who may not catch. He says, I'd make a very bad God. And that's actually a reference to another series that Christopher Eccleston and Russell Davies did together. It's an earlier series called The Second Coming. It was a two-part special where um, Russell Davies wrote a... Um, a series about a, a video store worker played by Christopher Eccleston, who realizes that he's the son of God, and not Jesus, <laughs> but another son of God apparently. And so, um, so, so when Christopher Eccleston says, "I'd make a very bad God," if you know Russell Davies or Christopher Eccleston's career, that's what they're referring to.
0: Oh, that's funny! Funny. Is it, does what he, he also says, "No day off for starters"? Is that also a reference or?
2: That I don't know, but okay. yeah, he, so he's <laughs> alluding, if I was a god, you wouldn't get a Sabbath.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, another subplot of this episode, it's sort of a big one for the ongoing continuity of the show, was this, the go, what's going on between Mickey and Rose? And it's this interesting mm-hmm. problem, and I don't know how much of this came up in Classic Who, although it, but it does come up quite often in New Who, which is when the companion's off traveling with the Doctor they've left their, their loved ones behind. And how does that affect those relationships? And Mickey, if I were Mickey, I'd be a little bit jealous and, and, and put out totally by my girlfriend traveling with this other guy, this who's in, in every way more exciting than I am, apparently and leaving me behind. And so he, 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 he had come up with this idea to, to break up with her, although apparently after getting a hotel room, which seems kind of sle- uh, sleazy, but, you know, yeah. he, mm-hmm. he, but he, he had come well, up with this idea that he's going to break up with someone because he's dating someone else.
2: Well, and I kind of wondered, is he is he really dating someone else or is that just bravado? you know, to save face or something. Or right. Make right. Rose jealous. But um, but I really like the character development with Mickey in this episode because he starts completely unsympathetic and he's gradually become a little more sympathetic. And this episode is kind of a big step in that regard because we get inside Mickey's head where he's talking to Rose. and he And if you think back to, you know, the circumstances where she was with Mickey when the doctor invited her, and said, "But he's not invited." And she then dithers and then runs into the TARDIS gleefully, leaving Mickey behind. And he, and and you know the audience isn't thinking, "How does Mickey feel at that moment?" But now Mickey tells us how he feel, how he felt, and he tells Rose, "You left me. You made me feel like nothing." And that's just really human and really authentic. And that's what you would feel if you had been ditched the way Rose ditched Mickey. And Mm -hmm. then Mickey does something, despite the sleazy hotel business, he does something that's actually very mature. He says, I'm not going to ask you to leave the doctor because that wouldn't be fair And so he recognizes that this is important to Rose and he's not doing the classic you must choose between him and me, you know, thing. He's doing something more mature and more subtle and more interesting at that point. And so I really like the way uh, Mickey steps up his game in this episode and they give him more sympathetic material to work with.
0: I think Mickey may have one of the most interesting character arcs of any of the secondary characters, uh, you know, the, the beside the companion characters, uh, because by the end of his time on Doctor Who, which we see him uh, in, we talked about, the, you know, we did we already did this episode, the regeneration episode for the 10th Doctor, where he's going through, you know, he's taking that time to go through and revisit all the, you know, all of his companions and the people and, and helping them in some way. And he shows up. um and Mickey is now this freedom fighter along with um, Martha Jones. Yep. And, and it's this heroic figure. And he's gone through yeah, this. He's this, an action hero. He's this transformation. And it's great. I I mean, at first, I thought Mickey was kind of an- annoying and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't want to see him at all. And, and by the end, I thought, wow, I'd like to see this Mickey <laughs> on the TARDIS yeah. with the doctor. Uh, so it's I, I like, you know, the, that Transformation, that journey that Mickey goes through in the, in, right. in this, uh, you know, over the course of those seasons. Um, so the you know just to kind of continue on in, in our discussion, I, one of the things that I, I kind of uh, t- uh, thought about this was, and we kind of briefly t- touched on this. This is a slow episode. You know, there's some, mm-hmm. a little bit of action here and there and some running around, as you always have in a Doctor Who episode. But this is this episode sort of develops slowly through a bunch of conversations, right. uh, mm-hmm. you know, a conversation over dinner, a conversation uh, outside in the, office. in the right in the office, a conversation in the in the control room. There's a bunch of these conversations. And this is much more of a of a thinking talking episode than it is of a Crazy action episode, and I thought that was a, you know, a part of why this 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 episode is a little better than the alien invasion, uh, World War Three episodes. Uh, you don't see the bobblehead aliens running through the halls, bouncing their heads, <laughs> right? With the yes, the the not so good CG. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, and then we like so uh, so I just wanted to mention that. But then there was this other moment where the Doctor kind of diagnosis, he, he, there's this very interplay interchange, but a very interesting interchange between the doctor and Margaret is, uh, he diagnoses the serial killer who lets a victim go every once in a while in order to convince herself, she's not as bad as all that. And yet mm-hmm. she turns it around on him.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that's nice. And, and
0: that's a, and, and he doesn't really have an answer for that. Does he, uh, he, he's sort of kind of stuck with this re- realization.
2: Yeah. Now, eventually, of course, um, we get a way out of the dilemma for the Doctor. And rather than a deus ex machina ending, it's a sort of machina ex machina ending because the TARDIS (laughs) ends up regressing her. And to the point that she's an egg. So she's now an innocent again and can live her life over and maybe come out as a better person. And so he's able to take her. He is able at that point to just take her to another location where she won't simply begin being a villain all over again and harming people because she's going to be a hatchling. Um, And so, so that's okay. But it is a really kind of out of nowhere you know, timey-wimey, all of a sudden the TARDIS has the ability to regress people to being eggs. Exactly. um, Ending. Really, I think what they're doing there, I mean, other than, they are trying to find a way out of this to where we have a happy ending for Blonde, but um, they're also wanting to show us that the TARDIS, if it opens up, has really powerful and mysterious effects because that's going to be crucial to the Bad Wolf parting of the ways storyline that's going to start next week. Yep.
0: Right, and, and it's in it's, a
2: way they're using a Deus it, Ex Machina ending to set up an even bigger Deus yeah. Ex Machina. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's also in a way the it connects with the theme of of redeemability that that someone can be and you know this is more of a metaphysical sort of or or, or physical. Redeeming you, know, you are you are able to be redeemed because you can be reverted to an innocent state. Mm-hmm. But I I feel like that that's one one of the messages in this is is this idea that you know that even the worst among us, there's a hope mm-hmm. of, of redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really feel like that's this is a redemption story it also
2: um, raises interesting moral questions I mean there's the classic question of if you if you uh, if you knew Hitler as a boy before he did right. anything bad could you kill him the answer by the way is no do not mm. kill boy Hitler it doesn't work that way morally <laughs> um, but right. Um, This is something, in a way, it's similar because she's made her, Blonde has made her life choices and the TARDIS kind of takes matters into its own hands. But suppose this was all done voluntarily. Um, Could you, if you had Hitler, could you morally regress him into a baby against his will so Mm -hmm. that he has the chance to come out better? living his life over again. And it seems to me just on first blush that the answer to that question is going to be no as well. You can't just undo a person's choices against that person's will and force them back into another state. It's kind of it would be sort of like, um, you know, taking a, a, a person and blanking their memory and undoing all of their life choices against their will, that's a violation of someone's personal integrity. That's like, you know, mind controlling them or mind raping them or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the realm of, uh, you know, rank speculation, what if you could go back to instead of regressing Hitler as a boy, going back to when Hitler was a boy and shepherding mm-hmm. through life to make that, different choices. That, I think, is,
2: is more legitimate. Assuming time travel and changing the past is possible, then um, you would have the same moral freedom to act uh, in another time the same way you have moral freedom to act in another place. So going to France and making choices to help things in France would be no different than going to 1911 and... Helping people make better choices in 1911.
0: It's, it's an interesting th- thought experiment, especially the, the the implications that if you don't, you, you know, regress Hitler against his will or kill Hitler as a child, that you know the the men, tens of millions who die and that that weighing, it's sort of uh, hey, it's the trolley mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. problem that yeah. we we're kind of talking about. Uh, uh, if, if you watch the Good Place uh, that uh, we were talking about the, that TV show Not earlier in the podcast, uh, yeah. off the uh, before we recorded. Not in the podcast, but before we were uh, recorded, um, and the the trolley problem in philosophy comes up. So it is a, a, again that the trolley problem. So um, she's an egg, I mean, tentacles, <laughs> an egg, and uh, an egg with tentacles
2: and that's a, sticking out the top of it. Yeah.
0: Okay. So maybe you can help me with this. I, I wrote a note. I, maybe I was overtired or something because I don't remember what I was referring to. But I said, is this the same thing we saw in the eighth Doctor story? I guess I wonder if it's – is this the heart of the TARDIS ah, that we saw okay. in the eighth so Doctor story?
2: they've played the, uh, they played the idea of the Eye of Harmony differently in different phases of Doctor Who. When they first introduced the concept, it was a black hole created by Rassilon and Omega – that powered all of Time Lord civilization and was located on Gallifrey under the Panopticon, if I remember correctly. Then in the eighth Doctor TV movie, that's Paul McGann. He's the one that looks like Lord Byron. Um, He uh, has the Eye of Harmony as part of the TARDIS, and it's in a kind of special room and it it opens up like an eye and you and the master falls into it. The worst incarnation of the master falls into it. Um, (laughs) And and uh, and so it had been kind of reimagined. And I guess you can reconcile that by saying that um, it's, you know, space can be warped. And so maybe it's somehow both on Gallifrey and in every single TARDIS. Then in the 11th Doctor, which obviously we haven't got to yet, that's Matt Smith, the guy with the bow tie and the fez. Um, He uh, has – we get a tour of the TARDIS. It's the most extensive we've ever seen in an episode. I think it's called Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. And and there we see – Um, The Eye of Harmony as a supernova that's in the process of collapsing into a black hole. And again, it's in the TARDIS, but it's not in the control room. What we have in this episode is the TARDIS console opens up and light shines out of it and it's referred to as the heart of the TARDIS. And you would think that would have some connection with the eye of harmony um, I suppose it's somehow connected with and powered by the eye of harmony, but it's it it seems that what we saw in the TV movie and what we will see in the Matt Smith episode. Is that the there's another physical location physicalization of the Eye of Harmony as a supernova slash black hole elsewhere in the TARDIS, and this is somehow manifesting that energy through the control console? Well,
1: well, then in the the, the season ender two parter when Rose absorbs that energy, it's said mm-hmm. that it's the time vortex that she absorbed the, all of the time vortex into yeah, her.
2: That makes no sense. Well, all this makes no sense, too, but no.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we, I was just thinking we say so that an awful we, lot. But
2: that really meant you absorbed all of all of. Is that like absorbing all of time and space? Did you just absorb all Apparently. of time and space, Rose? Yeah. Why are we still here? Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so. uh Okay. So is there anything else you want to say? Uh, That's from from my notes. Uh, Anything else you want to say about this episode? Any last thoughts? I
2: just had a note, uh, a remnant of Um, a note, because we talked about how this has a kind of deus ex machina ending. And people hear that phrase, they may not know what it means. Um, It's from the ancient, it's from ancient Greek drama. A bunch of plays back in, in like uh, Medea, for example, a bunch of ancient Greek plays would you get the characters written into kind of a corner and they would need a way to solve it at the end of the play. And what they do is they'd have an actor playing a God like, say, Apollo lowered onto the stage with a winch. The winch is the machine. And so deus ex machina is the God from the machine who comes in to solve all the plot magically at the end. And so that's something that is kind of it's treated deus ex machina endings are treated as kind of cliches and bad writing where the end just comes out of nowhere and doesn't flow naturally from the elements that have been previously established. And it's something that then characterizes, um, you know, some of the weaker episodes of Doctor Who as well.
0: Yeah, that's. I think it's really the key is, is that it, it's it's an ending that comes out of nowhere. It's not supported by any of the previous uh, story that had been or very little shown. And, and in one sense, the the uh, the writer acting as. As, as a god who just whimsically uh, changes things in the story uh, as a sort of an external force that doesn't flow from it. So, yeah, that's that's a good explanation. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. Um, so overall, what's, what's your opinion of, of Boomtown? Is is it, uh, is it good, bad? Do you have a better opinion uh, on this watching than you did initially? Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I'm still kind
1: of the negative on it but li- like you said it is it is better on second watching and you know of course first time i watched it would have been you know when it first came out or shortly thereafter so it's still been spoiled by the you levine um it's i still don't like the episode i think some of the logic they use especially when it comes to the arguments about the death penalty and stuff like that is pretty sloppy but it's better than it seemed at first let's just put it that way
0: <laughs> okay how about you for, uh jimmy
2: I I think that sums up my views as well. It's it's it once you get over the ickiness of the Slitheen, this episode has some stuff to recommend it. It also has some just really implausible stuff, you know, publicity, free mayors building nuclear power plants in the middle of a city to destroy the earth and surf back to alien civilization. I mean, that's pretty out there,
0: (laughs) even (laughs) for Doctor Who. Uh, I I agree with both of you. It's 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 a little better on second viewing, but it's still I wouldn't place it in my top 10, 20 episodes of Doctor Who by any stretch of the imagination. And I still don't <laughs> like the saline. So uh, so that's it from us. What did you think of this ninth Doctor story, Boomtown? Uh, you can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, where we have great discussions, uh, uh, lots of good comments from listeners like you. Uh, so leave us some feedback and, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We, we might uh, read some of it uh, during an episode and discuss it or even... Um, If you send us an audio file, we we might be able to play that. That's especially good when when you can do that. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor, Colin Baker, story, The Twin Dilemma. What a dilemma. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Jimmy Aiken. thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening, and remember, Cardiff in the early 20th century, for uh, Cardiff in the early 21st century, when the wind's coming from the east is the safest place in the universe. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect, or later, one of those.